At the end of today's message, I'm going to try to give a little bit more time for Q&A. We want to have you ask questions that you have about child training, child raising, and how to have epic kids. So we'll be doing that at the end with a panel of three, myself, Pastor Paul Julian, Pastor Mark Julian, and uh, we want to hear what you have to uh, ask about this. And so that's if I get going, if I get going. We tried to do this last week. We actually did. But I went longer than I meant to, and we didn't have as much time for Q&A. So we're going to try to get going. You can say, okay, then get going, okay? You all are so nice. You're so gracious. I appreciate you. You're kind. You're not as mean as I am. So thank you for that. There was a family that moved into the country, and they had come from an urban area. And so the mom was a little nervous. She had a little boy in the house and in the country. You know, she wasn't sure how quickly emergency People could get to them if there was an emergency. And so she decided to teach her little boy how to call 911. And uh, that's good and bad, right? I mean, as long as they call 911 only when there's an emergency, uh, that's a good thing. So she went through it. She talked to him about it. Here's what you do if uh, if there's an emergency. So then she said, I'm going to see if I, I test him and see if he grasps what I, I just taught him. So she said to her little boy, um, now, if you walked in the house and you see me lying on the floor, what would you do? And she said his little brain started whirling and his eyes lit up and he says, I would go in the kitchen and eat anything I want to. <laughs> Have you ever felt yourself in that situation when you're like, no, that's not exactly what we went over. That's not what I taught you. It's still funny. And by the way, how do you not laugh sometimes when the kids are naughty, but they're funny at the same time? That was a struggle uh, for us. And both Karen and I, are, we're not going to look at each other. We're not going to laugh. But I tell you, it was hard not to sometimes when we were raising our girls. Let's talk about how to raise epic kids today in our series on uh, epic children. And, and we can. And we do live in a tough world. We do live in a, in a, a crazy world, a changing world, a, a, a world getting darker. Can we raise our children in this world to know God and to love God? That's our question, okay? Here's what I know. I know when they're born, they're pagan. You, 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 you brought pagans into the world. The reason I know that is because we're born in sin. And, you know, pretty, pretty soon that little perfect little angel isn't anymore, you know? And so how do we then guide this this sinner, because we're all sinners, how do we guide this sinner into a knowledge of their sin and a, a realization that they need a savior and introduce them to Jesus? That's the big thing of parenting. That's the most important thing. And, and as we were having children, we prayed every night for them to be saved. And then when it was time, they started to ask questions. You could start to see that they were starting to understand spiritual things. And at a certain point, they each on their own decided to make that decision to put their trust in Jesus Christ. Wonderful day. But now we now need to take that new Christian and, and help them grow and be, uh, d- disciple them and help them to be the person, the, the, in our case, the women that God wanted them to be. And so what we did last time is we, I gave you 10 things that I, uh, thoughts, things from scripture that I had as I was raising our kids. And today I'm going to give you 10 more. Let's review the first 10. Number one, I asked you to be godly. What does that mean? That means you're growing. You're a faithful. You're not, you're not letting anything take the place of God in your life. 
You're going to make sure that, that when, when there's a service, you're at church. Uh, anytime you can teach them and help them, uh, you're doing that. You're growing yourself. You're spending time yourself in the word, in prayer, and uh, in church. And then I said that, number two, you need to love your wife. And number three, wives, you need to respect your husband. Why is it important for these these two th- aspects of child training? Because if you have a good marriage the kids are going to feel secure. If your marriage is always kind of arguing and yelling and, you know, there's, there's, there's trouble and the child gets scared and they're not sure what to expect. And, 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 and if we can have good marriages, that really helps us with raising our kids. Number four, I said, be real. In other words, don't be a phony. Don't, don't be a Sunday only Christian. Be an everyday Christian. Okay. And you know what I'm talking about. You, you can act all, you know, you're arguing in the car on the way to church, but once you get here, everything's like, oh yeah, we're having, everything's good. You're smiling and, you know, you're ready to kill each other, but, you know, you, be real, be, be honest, uh, and, and, and your children can see right through the phoniness. Okay. The most important thing, I think, to me was that my dad was real. You didn't wonder where he was at. You know, he was authentic, and I think we need to be uh, that way as well. Be consistent. Uh, keep doing the right things. Don't stop doing the right things. Be diligent. Uh, everywhere, anytime, every place you can train your kids. And I do it with the grandkids all the time. Uh, if we're talking about something and, and I can tie in the spiritual truth to that conversation, I do. I point out uh, something in, in creation. I said, who made that? Even to the littlest. Who made that? Teach them there is a God. It's obvious by creation. And glorify him every chance you get and teach your children everywhere you are. You don't just have to have a devotional time. We actually didn't have a devotional time in our family. That might shock you. <gasps> you know, no, you have to have family devotional time. You don't have to. If you do, it's fine. But don't make that the only thing you ever do. Teach them all the time and be diligent in that. Be fun, number seven. Uh, you don't have to spend a ton of money to be fun. You can just be fun for free, okay? So come up with something cheap or free and and, and do stuff. Uh, get outside. <clears throat> Love your kids, number eight. Have your kids ever said, watch me, watch this? Boy, if you take your eyes off them, one second. They, they know it. They're watching you that you're watching them. Why? Because they want they want your attention, how do you show your kids that you love them? Give them your attention. What can take away from attending to focus on our children? So many things, but it's that that smartphone that you've got. Okay, uh, put it down, put it away. Often we we tried to uh, make sure we had a meal together, dinner together. Put it away, put it down. Don't pick it up. Talk, 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 talk. I think that's one of the most important things you can do raising your kids is talk, love them, pay attention to them. They're asking you to watch because they crave your attention and your love. Number nine, don't forget to discipline your kids. Lovingly discipline your kids. This is important. It's biblical. Number 10, spank for rebellion. Uh, you say, well, I don't believe in spanking. That just teaches violence. Well, God tells us to do it. Um, and there's a God made a perfect spot on the human body you're not going to damage the kid. You're going to give them a little temporary pain to avoid a terrible heartache. Okay? 
That's what we're talking about here. You're loving. You're, you're, you're putting in the bank all of these other things. But when it comes time and they do something rebellious, how do you know if it's something that they need a spanking for? Well, if it's rebellion, if they're rebelling against what you told them, it's a spanking. It's that simple. Okay. I'm not talking about a mistake. I'm not talking about an accident. Um, I'm talking about they are defying you. God put you in charge. You're the parent. Be the parent. Okay. So those are those 10 things we talked about last time. And then today, let's look at Psalm 127. In verse one, it says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat bread of sorrows, for he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. A beautiful psalm. A a lot of truth there of how important children are to God and how important they should be to us. Happy is the man. That have it, has his quiver full. You say, well, how many children should a person have? How big is the quiver? Our quiver held, held two. We were thrilled with two. It's between you and God, but uh, Karen and I decided on that to focus on ministry, focus on other people, other children, and whatever it is, whatever God guides you in that is fine, but they are a heritage, a heritage. This is how you can continue your legacy when you're gone is you've raised children that know they're accountable to a one true God and that they know him by faith. They put their faith in him and they're growing in him. That's the legacy that you can leave. Children are a heritage of the Lord. I came across a sad story of a Dallas Cowboy football player named David Simmons. And David played quarterback, a uh, cornerback for the Cowboys, uh, some years ago. His father, he writes, was a military man and was extremely demanding. He rarely said a kind word to David. He was also always pushing him with harsh criticism to do better. When David was a little boy, his dad gave him a bicycle unassembled and told him, I want you to put this together. David eventually got to the point where he was in tears because there's no way he could possibly do this. And his dad said to him, David, I knew you couldn't do it. So he took it and did it himself. You see, wow, what kind of father is that? Well, you'll be surprised at how many dads don't realize the way they come across to their kids. Okay. David played football in high school and his dad was unrelenting in his criticism. In the backyard after the game, his dad would go over everything that David did wrong. David said, most football players had butterflies before the game. He said, I got butterflies after the game because I knew in the backyard I would be under this intense criticism. He chose to play football at Georgia Tech because it was the furthest school that he had gotten a scholarship from to be furthest from his dad. After college, he became the second round draft pick of the St. Louis Cardinals. And Joe Namath that year, who would later be signed by the Jets, was the first round pick. Okay, so that's not bad, coming in second to Joe Namath. So he called his dad excited and he says, uh, you know, I've got some good news. Uh, I've been drafted second for the 
uh, Cardinals and his dad says, how does it feel to be second? Despite these, these hurtful feelings that he had for his father and hateful feelings, David began to build a bridge. See, he had found Jesus Christ as his savior. And he started to really love his dad and try to understand his dad. And so he had these conversations with his dad later in life. And in these conversations, he learned for the first time that his grandfather had been a lumberjack with a terrible temper. He said one time his grandfather, he had learned that his grandfather had destroyed a pickup truck with a sledgehammer. Okay. So that was his grandfather. And he also learned that his grandfather would be his son or his dad. And so he started to understand the background and, and why his dad was the way he was. And, and David slowly but surely began to build a relationship. And when his father, by the time his father died, David said, I can honestly say we were friends. So our, our first point today or number 11 on our list of 20 things is don't Provoke. The Bible is clear about this, especially with dads. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. So what is provoking our children to wrath? It's demanding more than they can achieve. It is putting them down. It is over-criticizing. Now, I believe we should demand a lot of our children. I think our children can do more than a lot of parents think they can. I think a lot of kids are really good at psychology and they're able to control mom and dad. They know they can play them off each other. They know who's going to say yes. Who do they go to when they have something they want? You know who they go to, the one that's going to say yes. They're not going to go to the one that says no. So parent together as a team, but also sometimes we do need to push them a little bit but be careful that you don't ever push them into something they cannot do. I remember one time my dad gave me the job of cleaning the church and I was pretty young and I, I was excited about it because I was going to get like a dollar, you know, it's pretty, a lot of money. Um, and so they, they learned that I, I, I couldn't accomplish what they were asking me to do. So there are times when you have to be careful with that, but I still think parents should gently push their children to do more. But don't provoke them. Don't give them a job they cannot do. Don't put them in a position. Uh, and if you're going to correct them, do it in a positive way. And, and my dad would often do this. Jimmy, you're, you're a wonderful boy and we love you so much. But here's one thing I need you to work on. And then at the end, he would again say how much he, he cares about us. That's, that's the way to handle a lot of people, right? And a lot of relationships, but especially your kids. You know, say something positive, uh, tell them what they need to do to, to improve or to not do, and then be positive again. It's a really good approach to life. Be careful about provoking. Then the verse continues, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's so important to, again, make sure they know they are accountable to God, not just to you. Now, they're accountable to you while they're in the home, but at the same time, they're accountable to God. Why is it important to teach that? Every time you have a teaching moment, a discipline moment, a fun moment, whatever it is, every time, remind them they're accountable to God. Why? Because there's a day that they will no longer be accountable to you. 
Okay? And if they know they're accountable to God, then they're going to have a much better chance at life. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Number 12, the second thing for today, encourage your kids. Now, I'm not talking about uh, overdoing praise. I've heard parents overdoing praise. Boy, you're such a good basketball player. You're going to be able to play in the NBA. No, they're not. No, don't say things that are, are ridiculous, okay? Also, when you praise your kids, encourage them, praise them. Um, praise not their, their looks. Don't ever praise their looks. Oh, you're so beautiful. I mean, that's something that they're born with or born without, right? I'm not saying you can't say they look nice, but don't praise them on their natural God given gifts. Praise them on their hard work, their perseverance, uh, uh, whenever they've tried hard. I mean, praise that, okay? And I think we can encourage them in the right path by these positive uh, uh, words to help them to grow. And, and when you praise someone and it's legitimate praise and it's praise not based on a natural ability or uh, the way they look, you praise them on their attitude or how they've worked hard, they beam. When you, when you praise a kid, they beam. So work on that, encouraging, praising your kids. Number 13, set boundaries. Kids need boundaries. Okay. Well, you know, I want them to be free range. No, you don't. No, maybe chickens, but even chickens, if they're free range, they're going to be eaten by a, a fox, right? Set the boundaries. Uh, they need to know what you expect and, and they need to know what happens when they cross that line. Be consistent. They actually will feel more loved when you have boundaries. You tell them what they can and can't do. One example of this is uh, my kids, as they got older, they could start driving and go out. They would ask to go out to uh, whatever, uh, eat with their friends or something. And we would, if, 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 if they were godly and they were doing well, we would, we would allow them to do stuff. But I had a rule on Sunday, on Saturday nights, because of Sunday the next day, especially as a pastor, I don't want to be worried about them. They never stayed out late, late. But on Saturday nights, they would be home by 10. No questions asked. That was a hard line. And they respected that most of the time. And if they don't respect it, what do you do? There's consequences. There's consequences. So set boundaries. Uh, kids respond. When you teach them, there are lines that cannot be crossed. And you know what? Something, if you do this properly, you know what you might do? You might literally save their lives. Don't play, don't go out past the yard or whatever. Literal, a literal boundary. And one day, if you don't do that, they, they might go out onto that road. They might get hit. So you're setting boundaries and I'm talking about not just, uh, uh, fence boundaries. I'm talking about lots of areas of life to set boundaries. Number 14. And I think you cannot over teach this, overestimate the importance of number 14. Protect them from infiltration. The world is set on getting your children to not love God, to not know God, to not serve God. Satan is wanting your children to get in to some sin or get into some filth. And yeah, they can be brought back out of that. But isn't it better if we don't live with the pigs? Isn't it better if we don't run away from God? 
So when we are diligent protecting them with, from infiltration, uh, and, and I'm talking about having safeguards, safeguards in place for, from technology. One thing that we didn't let our kids have access to the internet. They d- could not get on the internet unless we were with them. We were very, very careful about passwords and passcodes. We had filters once they got older. We didn't let them have a phone. <gasps> oh, no, kids have to have a phone. No, they don't. No, they don't. So, boy, I tell you what, how can we protect them? There's lots of ways. And if you're confused about this, ask someone that seems like they got some pretty good kids. That might be a good... Here's something that I would ask any of you with with children to do in the next few weeks. Go to someone that you've seen that have been doing a really good job. You see their kids are respectful, they're polite, they're godly, and ask that person, would you be honest with me and just tell me exactly what you think of how I'm doing raising my kids? Now be ready. If if they're really going to be honest... And that's our problem. No one's willing to be honest because then there's going to be blowback. Don't react. Just listen. Don't defend. Just listen. Now, this is a little risky because you might not have a friendship anymore. But if you go to that person and just say, I want to hear it. Tell me. Because then if we can correct something now while they're younger, it will really save them when they're older. Okay? So think about doing that. Just a just a, a crazy idea that I just gave you. Um. Number 15, give appropriate responsibility. Let them learn by doing things and even sometimes failing. Sometimes failing. But you're, you're, you're pushing them a little bit. Give them appropriate responsibility. Make sure they have jobs at home. Okay? Um, we always had chores. We always had jobs. And, and as I got older, the responsibilities increased. And, and sometimes I even got an allowance. I even got paid for, for working. But I mean, isn't it enough that you let them live in your house? Isn't it enough that you feed them your, their food and you buy them their clothes? You don't have to give them an allowance. Now, if you do, that's fine. No problem. But to give them appropriate responsibility, I would, uh, eventually mow grass. I did a lot of grass. Uh, you know what I did? When I was young, I uh, would mow sometimes the neighbors or, or shovel or snowblow the neighbor's driveway. And if they were older or they, they weren't well off, I wouldn't charge them. We had several neighbors. I got, I got more joy out of going and shoveling out a neighbor that was old and, and, and not well off. I got more joy out of that than I did from making almost $1,000 one New Year's morning when it snowed about a foot of heavy, wet snow and everyone was hung over and they were staring at with their shovel and I had a John Deere snowblower. I mean, I made so much money that day. I was like, Lord, thank you that people are stupid on New Year's Eve. So, but I got more joy than making all that money by helping out a neighbor. So that was part of my upbringing. That was part of the way my parents raised me. So to give those, give your kids opportunities. Now you say, well, that's dangerous. I, I don't want them to do this or that. Um, teach them safety. Here's what my mom and dad did, or my dad did. My dad brought over a guy in the church that had cut off his big toe with a lawnmower and said, Dave, take off your, take off your shoe. So I, I didn't know anything about this missing toe. He took, took off his shoe. Dave, take off your sock. I'm like, I don't know what's happening here. Dad's teaching me how to mow. Why is this, why is this going on? Takes off his sock and there's no big toe. And Dave was just delighted to show this to this little Jimmy 
and I think I'm still scarred. But I, I was always careful. I was like this. Feet way back. I'm serious. My whole life I've been very careful about cutting off my big toe. I guess the small toe is really hard to cut off, but the big toe, that one's, you're gonna, you're gonna lose that. Give appropriate responsibility. Teach your kids. Number 16, accountability. Uh, if they break it, they pay for it. If they, if they don't have money, give them jobs and then pay them and then take the money back to help them pay for what they broke. Seriously. Folks, do this. Do this. Number 17, instill gratitude. So I'm not just talking about manners. Yes, manners is important. Teach them to say thank you. Teach them to say please. Uh, instill gratitude. But I'm, I'm talking more about a, not manners, I'm talking about an attitude of thankfulness. Teach your kids to be thankful people. Point out those things that God is doing. Show them the silver lining, even when it seems to be a bad situation. And you can say, but here is where God is blessed, and here's what God has helped me with. You're teaching them thankfulness. Instill gratitude in your kids. The next one is to teach honesty. Teach honesty. You're, you're an honest person. You're careful to not lie. You're careful not to stretch the truth. You're very careful about these things. You're going to make sure that you're modeling honesty, but then you're also pretty serious. If they lie, you, they are in big trouble. Much worse trouble than if they tell the truth. That's something that was uh, instilled in Karen and Julie and I. Um, if we lied, uh, and they would always find out, especially if you have a best friend named Paul, they would always find out. And, and we learned... Yeah, it's going to be bad if I'm honest, but it's going to be horrible if I'm not. So teaching that is important. Number 19, teach giving. Uh, We were taught to tithe when I was a kid. And if it was a dollar that I made, I would give 10 cents to God. It's important, folks. Make sure you do that. Teach your kids to give and the joys of giving, the blessings of giving. And I've learned that when I was little. I taught to my kids. Uh, We're teaching it to the grandkids how to be a giving person. Every time, I'd say almost every time I've been generous, it's been a huge blessing in my life. Okay, so teach giving. 20, and this is the key, know and model your heavenly father. Look at Romans chapter eight, verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad we don't have to walk around as bound, as chained? We don't have that spirit of bondage, again, to fear, and by the way, your, your children should respect you, but not fear you. Have you ever seen a dog and, and that dog gets beat and that the, the master starts walking toward the dog and the dog's tail goes between it? You don't want your kids scared of you. You want your kids to have a high respect for you. Okay. So find that balance. Make sure again, that's where love comes in, but know and model your heavenly father because he's given us a spirit, not of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of what? Adoption. So when we have a good relationship with our Abba, our father, and when you're in the Middle East, you're going to hear the, the little Palestinian kids, Abba, 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 Abba. You're going to hear the little Hebrew kids, Abba, 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 Abba. Isn't that so cool? Uh, when you have that, that you've been adopted by God, you can cry out to God, Abba, Daddy, Father. And so that's, that's what we have with Christ. And if you have that, you can be an amazing parent and you can raise epic kids. Amen. 
Amen. Okay, we're going to give it a chance right now for you to ask questions. And I ask that we get our chair set up up here and our pulpit moved and our panel to come up. We're going to have three roving mics. There's going to be one mic for this section. And I think you, this section wasn't, wasn't very asking last week, okay? So I need you guys to, to catch up uh, a little bit. And I know everybody sits almost in the same seat every Sunday. I don't understand why, but everyone does. That's fine. I know where to look to see if you're in church or not. And then uh, this, this section is going to be another mic, and then the balcony has a mic. So you all can see the three guys in a minute that will have microphones, get their attention, and um, you can ask questions to them. Uh, this is Pastor Mark Julian, who still has kids at home. Your youngest is? And your oldest? 16. Perfect. So uh, kids at home. Uh, Pastor Paul has two grown sons and now has uh, daughter, daughters-in-law. And you have grandkids, which is awesome. And uh, same with me. We have grandkids now. So we're going to ask or answer your questions. And uh, I'm going to ask the first one, if you all would be... Um, so willing to answer this question. Uh, somebody recently asked me, when do you start transitioning between adolescence, younger children, and as they grow into teenage years, do you, do you change the way that you discipline them and, and explain that? Yes, you do. Yeah, you change it. Um, I don't know that there's a magic age, um, but you know, we always say, and you've taught this in the child training, um, classes where the goal when they're young, really young, um, is to train in order to get to a point where mostly you're doing teaching. So it's getting those ground rules set so they get to the point where you can, where you can teach. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit different for every kid, but let's just say in that 12, 13, for sure by 14, you're doing a lot more talking. Um, and, um, the, you know, the spanking and, and that's, you know, pretty much done with, um, I, at what age roughly, I, I would say by 12, 13, you know, right in there. I mean, I think both of my boys knew that it could happen. Mm-hmm. I think you got to keep that on the table. You don't have to say I'm no longer spanking. You. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go there. So I, I knew my dad would do it. Probably until about 17 or 18. Yeah. 30 maybe. 20. Yeah. And if he said bend over when I was 30, I probably would still do yeah. that. Yeah. Anyways, but it, it's not like a certain exact age, but it's, there's a, you'll kind of know as the kids get older. Yeah. And I think with our kids, since I had daughters, you know, as they became women, I would say, Karen, you're going to handle this. But often we would, we would have other punishments and longer talks and you're working on attitude. You're working on looking at their face. Are they truly sorry? Do they really admit what they did is wrong? Uh, and that's something my dad was really good at. He could read you, which is not good for us. I mean, it was. But to that point, I, I would say, like, most parents, we're, we've all been there. If we can just get through the moment of punishment, we're happy with compliance. It, it, that's not going to cut it. You're looking for where that heart is at. That's, that's what's going to... So as you get to that older age, uh, now I had boys... And my, my oldest, you know, Josh was a big guy. So, you know, in no time he was way taller than me. So when he was in trouble, I had to make him sit down. Like, otherwise I'm like looking up at him, you know, but I think it's important that you are now having a conversation where it's even more important that they're understanding the why rather than just, I was wrong. 
There's the punishment. We move on. Now we're talking about why. That, I think Dad would say, don't, when they're really little, you don't reason with them. We don't do that, do we? You know, just take care of it and teach them in that way. And, but as they grow and as they get older, we do need to explain why, and we do need to give them the reason, the biblical reasons why that behavior is not acceptable. Yeah. And I think, I think the reason that's so important is because I'm, Coming to the point in my life where my son is 16, he's got a junior in high school. After high school, I'm, I've lost all my opportunities now, right? And I want him to know, um, we were just talking about this in Sunday school. Joseph, uh, wouldn't fall because he was worried about sinning against God. And I want him to know it's not about me. It's not about complying with me. I want you to comply with the Lord and have that relationship with him. And I think the only way you do that is by taking those opportunities, disciplining when you have to, but then helping them to understand why we're saying what we're saying. And I think spending a lot of time after discipline, uh, whether it be a, a stern talk as they're older or a spanking when they're younger, spending time in restoring the fellowship and it's done, it's over, you don't bring it back up. If you've done it, you've taken care of it, you've taken care of it. Move on. Now they might do it the next day, and but they deal with that one. Don't deal with the previous one. Okay. Uh, microphones come up front. So we, uh, unless you already have someone, yeah. So people can see where you guys are. Everyone, get their attention. And uh, who's in the balcony? I don't see. Just yell out wh- where you are. Okay. So there's somebody back there. Do you have someone yet? Okay. Uh, somebody get his attention, and we'll try to at least get three questions. Uh, is there someone on this section? Do you already have the mic? You still have the mic? Okay. Somebody get his attention. You have one? Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, my name's Chuck. I have grandkids, and I was wondering about the influence that the world has on young people. Are there any tips on um, how parents and the church can compete with that influence? It's a great question. And I think especially as a grandparent, you uh, you, you think about that a lot, don't you? Um, you're not the parent, of course, those, they're, you know, they're your children's kids, but, um, you, you absolutely, uh, this is just my opinion. You absolutely can compete with it. Um, and the way, um, the way I was raised and, and the way we raised our kids was we did not shy away from that competition. Uh, because what we see in scripture all the way from the old Testament with Israel and false nations and new Testament with you know, false versions of Christianity, um, I, I, we, we actually would tell our kids there is a competition here and we have the answers in Christ. I, I would say when you're raising teenagers, especially those conversations that you're having are to help them see that the devil's very good at creating a false Christianity, which means you can make it how you want it, right? He's very good at all the anti-God stuff, but especially in a Christian school setting and all that, you have to have a lot more conversations about that. So I say, embrace the competition. We know we have the winning side. Um, make sure the kids know that there's a competition for their hearts and minds, and then give them truth. Um, so you can absolutely compete, no doubt. Somebody on this side? Not yet? Okay, get his attention, folks. I, I'm trusting you to ask a question. And I know there's a hesitation if you're a parent and your kids are in here. I totally get that. Uh, but just ask anyway. My dad embarrassed me so much. You, you, your kids will be okay. Give them a quarter. Give them a dollar afterwards. Yeah, in the balcony. Um, I have a question about um, co-parenting. So after a divorce, 
um, when you're trying to raise your children in a godly way and um, the other parent is not in church, um, not godly, um, how do you handle that? How do you um, have the influence on your kids that you want to have? That's a great question. Really good question. And unfortunately, a sad reality of a lot of parenting um, situations. Um, I, I, there's, there's really good advice if you can, like he said earlier, find someone who's done it and been through it successfully. So that's, that's the, the, the short answer. But something on an immediate sense I would say is, is that you still have truth and look for ways to introduce those children to God's truth. Remember, the power is not in the messenger, the power is in the message. So do everything you can to help those children see God's truth. And that obeying truth is where blessings are at. Uh, Obviously starting off first with the gospel. Um, But um, it's a challenge, it's a tug of war, uh, especially if one doesn't want it. Um, I know this, everyone in this room had a choice to accept or reject Christ. Those kids are no different. So present truth, give them biblical truths as best you can. Some of these disciplinary things and things like that take a different you know, turn. But God is gracious, God is good, and his truth still works. And I think at the end of the day, also just adding, um, all of us face things that are out of our control, decisions that other people have made. The only thing that we can do is control what our reaction is to that. And so there's still a God in heaven. And so you, you just do the best that you can and leave it to the Lord. Um, but you make the right choices that you can make and let God take care of that, if that, if that makes sense. I tell you, when you read the Bible, you're going to notice something about God. He is especially gracious to widows and to fatherless. And when you're in a different situation than is what he, he wants, he wants one uh, man, one woman for life with children and the security of that. But that's not always the case. It's sometimes hardly ever the case these days because you can also have still have a marriage, but one is spiritual, one is not, one is saved, one is not. So God knows that. And I think there's God does special things for that parent. Uh, we've seen it where there's a divorce. One parent is living an ungodly life. The other parent is living a godly life. And we've seen the kids make it. They see the, the contrast because they, they have it both ways. They can totally see it both ways. And with a lot of prayer, and we need to all pray for that situation, um, with a lot of prayer, God uh, will help especially that that situation. So I hope that we can encourage people in that situation that there's extra grace there. And, and maybe that's a challenge to us as a church too, for us as men to find some of these ladies that don't have a father figure at home and come alongside and be, and help be that father figure, help, help guide that child, be there, uh, for different things and opportunities. Some of, some of you have done that. And I, I can look back on my life. And think of, and I, I'm looking at faces now that I see of obviously my, my parents, my dad had a massive impact in my life. Dr. Scudder had a massive impact in my life, but there's a lot of lay people that are in here, uh, that were, that have been here for years. And you have no idea the impact that you made on my life to serve the Lord. 
I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm just, I'm just going through. I see the tannies, I see the virginals, I see the wolves. Um, I see, uh, Mr. Reyes playing baseball with us, softball with us, just showing us Christian life. And so, so we can do the same. And as a church, that's what part of the body is, right? Uh, doing that for, for one another. So I know, um, when I was younger, uh, there was a young man in the church that his mom was single mom, single parenting. So I made it a point to teach him how to drive. Oh, well, she was happy that I did that. And I teach him how to drive uh, stick shift, which every, by, by the way, that's point 21, teach your children to drive manual transmission. I'm telling you, I was once uh, with a friend of mine who had just got this beautiful Ford Mustang. And I said, you know, would, would, would I be able to drive it? He goes, no, it's stick shift. I'm like, oh, you don't think I know how to drive stick shift? So he thought he had the out and he wouldn't let me drive, but he, he, he did. But, uh, look for opportunities to help these kids, um, where that, that's the situation. Okay. Uh, take them fishing or whatever you can do, bring them along with you. And that will help, um, I believe make up the difference in these situations, but it's tough. I know it's tough and we pray hard every time. Uh, I believe there's now someone here. So go ahead and this will be our last question. Um, so I've been coming here for about 20 years. And one of the things that I really noticed when I got here was this multi-generational congregation. And I thought it was really neat that there were a lot of people that grew up here and they stayed here and they went into full-time ministry. And um, I know a lot of pastors and pastor's wives have, have helped me through the years with my own boys. I've got three boys, 14, 16, and nine. And I just wondered from your own personal experience, what if you've ever um, wanted to turn away or question things that were being taught here, what made you practically or spiritually stay here? And I know Pastor Mark kind of touched on it with the village of people here that came alongside him and helped him. But is there anything in it that you can remember in your own life that really helped you to stick it out or made you understand the reality of what was being taught here? at this church and from the Bible. Really good I question. I think Pastor Mark has the best uh, experience with this because we all thought he was going the wrong way <laughs> from one till about 20. <laughs> Just trying to get away from you guys. Yeah, well, um, that's probably what it was. Did, <laughs> did, did Dad ever tell you you could play in the NBA? No. No. Okay. <laughs> no. I wasn't sure I Mm-mm. Sorry, that's a really good no. question. So we need yes, to answer the question. Um, I, I struggled. Um, I, first of all, just let me say this. I'm surprised some of you in this church allow me to call myself pastor. So I'll just say that. Um, but I, I, I had struggles. I, I had real struggles. But the one thing that I could never get away from was truth. And whenever, whenever I tried, I always came back to that. This is truth. And the, the people that were, that God allowed to be in my life, these were people that cared about me. Um, and so, um, just, I know, I know, um, I made, I made some, dumb decisions and I, I was dumb as a teenager and I'm probably dumb now too so, to some extent don't agree um, but it's just going back I think what, what Pastor was talking about 
if, if you're real, then young people are going to see that. Fake doesn't work. So I don't, I don't want to know about how spiritual you tell me you are or how amazing God is that you tell me that. I want to see it lived out. And, and no matter what I tried to do, I could never get away from that. Um, and praise God, um, here I am, right? So, and it's scary because I, I have a 16 year old, I have a 13 year old and I have an eight year old. There's no guarantee they, they're going to grow up and they have to make choices. And I'm here as an imperfect parent trying to do literally the best I can. And I want to do everything that I can do so that they can make the right choices. And having them in this place means so much to me because all of the people around them, um, you know, you mentioned your boys, they're my, they're my kids' age. And so to have good godly parents raising good godly kids, to have that influence, um, it's, it's, it's an amazing opportunity. And we just steward that the best that we can. I honestly think that's the, a great way to end. And uh, we, do, we do sometimes give Pastor Julian a hard time. We shouldn't, but we do. I'm actually surprised that... And we'll though, continue to. Well, so. maybe. We're trying Rest to, assured, we're trying everything to stop. is okay. We're trying to stop. Honestly, I think we're all three surprised because since we grew up here and a lot of you knew us when we were little, um, and we weren't well, always perfect and we aren't even perfect today, but you still said, let's ordain these guys. And, uh, and, and that's pretty remarkable though, to grow up in a church and to have that multi-generational aspect of the church. And I don't take that for granted. I think it's awesome that we have little children, we have teens, we have mid-age, we have uh, older folks all serving the Lord together. I love that. You're not seeing that in many churches. So how do we do that? We just live it. We pray, um, talk a ton, talk a ton to your kids, especially as they get older. Um, you can never talk to them too much. Open, get them open up. And I think that uh, at the end of the day, when they have questions, when they have struggles, if they can ask you those questions, and they're not scared to ask you, you know, I've just had some doubts about my faith or whatever, that's huge That if they ask you those questions. But also make sure that they have godly friends because that's sometimes where it can steer wrong fast. So be very careful about who your kids are friends with and make sure that they're also part of a family that's on the right track for, for the Lord spiritually. Amen. Yeah, and that speaking to your kids, talking to your kids, it, it sounds like the reason for that is obvious. You know, the verse he shared last Sunday about Proverbs, train up a child in the way they'll go, whatever. And the, the principles are all there. But a lot of times we don't think of it as a trainer. We don't think of it as it's our job to make sure it's actually happening. So that the talking is the only way you're going to know. Are they getting this? Like if you don't talk to them enough, if they're, if they're not open with you enough, you won't know if the training's working. If you just get compliance, you don't know if the training's working. If you really get their thinking, and especially as they're older, you will know, is it working? It is up to the trainer to apply the right, you know, rules and structure, but it's also up to the trainer to be confirming that they're actually getting it. That as teens, to me, was what made the difference was we had parents that said, I don't care. I do care about compliance, but I want to know that your heart and head is actually getting this. I think that's, that's the key. Okay. Let's give our panel a huge hand. Thank you, fellas, for that. Thank <clears throat> you.
Tonight at sundown is the holiest day of the year for our Jewish friends, Yom Kippur. And there is a lot of a ceremony that goes along with that, where there's one animal that is killed, the blood is brought before the ark, uh, the, the top of the ark called the mercy seat. And that had to be done once a year by the high priest. And another animal was let off, let off a cliff, the scapegoat. And we had that going on year after year after year after year after year because our sins don't stop, right? But one day, one came that could make the final and perfect atonement, the complete payment for sins. God came in the flesh, his name is Jesus, and died. And that blood is applied to the real mercy seat that is in heaven, paying for everyone's sins. You say, well then, if my sins are paid for, how, how come I'm not automatically going to heaven? Because God is giving you a pardon, but you have to accept the pardon. You have to put your faith in this Lamb of God that doesn't just cover sin, he takes away sin. Okay? So as our, our Jewish friends are remembering this most holy day of Yom Kippur, May we make sure that we have put our faith in the Lamb of God that expiates, that takes away the sin of the world. Have we made that decision? Have we put our trust in Jesus? If we haven't, you can do it right now. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, referring to himself, that whosoever, anybody, believes in him. It's not religion. It's not being better. It's not being baptized. If you believe in him, who? In Jesus, should not perish. That's hell, but have what? Everlasting life, which is heaven. It's a simple but profound message of hope. The sacrifice has been made. Just receive the gift. The gift is Jesus who died for you and rose again. If you put your trust in him, you will be saved. And then you're adopted into God's family and you have a heavenly father and that can never change.